Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of the 3D Printing Basics podcast. I am your host, Tyler, and it's good to have you back. If you are returning or if you're a new listener, welcome. Today, this episode is going to be focused on the early history of 3D printing and how the early history impacted the world of 3D printing today and how it influenced 3D printing to get to the point of where we are now. I just thought it would be good, especially for beginners, to learn about the early history and how 3D printing grew from the first one all the way back in 1981 to the point that we are at today where you can have 12 or 15 of these guys in your home. Um, Okay, so first I would like to say Thank you to everybody who listened to the first episode. I got way more support on it than I thought I would, and it just means a lot to me that so many of you are willing to listen and makes me convinced more than ever that this can work, and I will definitely continue to keep making episodes. Also, I wanted to point out before I started that you are free to send me questions, anything. I have an email. The email is as follows. It's the number three d printing squared s q u a r e d at gmail.com that's my business email again it's 3d printing squared at gmail.com feel free to send me an email if you just want to talk if you have questions for me i will do my best to answer any questions that you might have and i might even answer some on the podcast i would love to make episodes that are solely based around the questions that my audience has and I'd love to answer anything any questions that you might have okay so moving on the early history of 3d printing I would say that the majority of 3d printers and 3d printing businesses in general did not know that the first 3d printer was actually invented all the way back in 1981 personally I know when I got into it I thought this was like a 10 year old invention I definitely did not know that it went all the way back to 1981 but Sure enough, it did. The very first printer was invented by Dr. Hideo Kodama. And so the printer that he invented was pretty similar to the printers we have today. It was controlled by a robot. But rather than printing or melting and printing plastics and laying it down on a sheet, what it printed was UV curable resin that could be cured by UV light. So it's just resin that is soft and just basically like a glue that hasn't dried yet. And then if you shine a UV light on it, then it cures almost instantaneously. So that was where the idea of the first one came around. And then, so that was in 1981. And in 1986, the first patent for SLA printing, which is more commonly known as resin printing today, it was filed by Chuck Hole, who is considered the inventor of 3D printing. And he is widely credited for that because he created and also commercialized both SLA printing as well as the STL file format, which is the most common file type used for 3D printing. And the STL format is just the type of file that most 3D models get exported in or the kind of file format that most 3D models are saved in to get used or dropped into a 3D printing software. And so after that, in 1988, a man named Carl Deckard a student at the University of Texas, he licensed selective laser sintering or SLS technology, which is another type of 3D printing that uses a laser 
to center powdered material into solid structures. And shortly after that, in 1989, Scott Crump also patented Fused Deposition Modeling, FDM, also known as FFF, which happens to be the most commonly found and most commonly used type of 3D printing today. And so the same year, Chuck Hole, again, the man who was famous for commercializing and creating SLA printing, he, his company, 3D Systems Corporation, released the SLA-1 3D printer, which was the landmark printer for SLA and the first one that was really available to, albeit a small market, a private market, but still it was available on the market to purchase. So that is pretty much the early history of 3D printing, the very early history consisting mostly of the 1980s and 1990s. And now I would like to continue by moving on into the 2000s and more specifically I'm going to be focusing on one particular project that project being RepRap. The reason I want to focus on it is because I believe RepRap played one of if not the biggest role in shaping and molding the 3D printing world into what it is today. So let's get into it. The RepRap project was initially started in England in the mid-2000s, if I remember correctly, it was 2004. The goal when it started was to create a low-cost 3D printer that was capable of 3D printing parts for itself. So the problem with 3D printing way back then, almost 20 years ago now, was 3D printers were around, but they were expensive. They were running anywhere from ten dollars to $15,000, which was pretty difficult to come up with for the average American. 3D printers were around but not easily accessible by the public market. So essentially what the founders wanted to create was a printer that had the ability to clone itself or at least part of itself. Their initial goal was to be able to create a 3D printer, a low budget 3D printer that was able to print parts for itself. In essence, have an ability to clone itself. They wanted to create a 3D printer that if something broke down, if something wore out, then rather than having to call upon the companies that manufacture this printer and get possibly expensive, possibly late shipping, long shipping, replacement parts they wanted, whoever owned the printer to just be able to print them out themselves and not have to worry about any patents, not have to worry about this, that, or the other, just be able to have it on demand and be able to fix it immediately and get right back to 3D printing. RepRap uses a process of 3D printing called FFF or FDM, which I mentioned earlier in the episode, and consists of heating up plastic and laying it down in layers and building up those layers to create the object that you want to make. The original creators were, they were hoping to harness the power of 3D, the 3D printing community by allowing other people to design their own upgrades, modifications for the printer, and therefore make the machine better for themselves as well as anybody else using it. So their hope for this project was to be able to basically get a whole bunch of thinkers on the project, people who necessarily would could think of something that they never would have thought of or could design something that they never would have thought of, add that to the printer, and essentially, by way of mass contribution, be able to create the perfect or the best printer that they possibly could. Because their whole idea was behind the project was 10,000 heads are better than one. And so they wanted to get as many people as possible in on the project to try to think about it, think about the best ways to upgrade it, think about the best ways to work around problems and just get as much input as they possibly could. And this worked out for them. They ended up having 
through the power of the internet, which was just coming into its own at the time, they were able to create really great modifications and really great update upgrades for this printer, which allowed it to become as big of a project as it did and become basically the, the standard for 3D printing as we know it today. Now, this community aspect of this company, or not the company, the project itself, didn't just work out incredibly well for the printers that they were making and also worked out incredibly well for many printing companies that we know today. A perfect example that I like to use is Prusa Printing, which is famous for their Prusa i3 MKS. They're one of the biggest companies out there. They're based in Prague. And they actually created, Joseph Prusa, the founder of the company, created his first machines and their first machines based off of the RepRap design. So without RepRap, it's possible that the big company like Prusa wouldn't even exist. And they pulled much of their inspiration from the RepRap project, which was the idea of the RepRap project itself. They just wanted, they wanted contribution from the 3D printing community and they wanted to share their ideas and they started, really started the open source uh, mentality of the 3D printing world, which helped out a lot of people. However, it was not just printing companies that benefited from the RepRap project. Actually, PLA filament, the most widely known and commonly used filament today, was introduced to the 3D printing world through the RepRap project. Vic Oliver, who was working on the project in 2007, was working with the RepRap printers, which were only printing ABS at the time, and suggested using it as an alternative to the ABS because ABS, while it is really heat resistant and really good, also has its downsides. It's very smelly, the fumes are really bad, and you really need an enclosed print space or a really hot print space in order to get the part to stick cleanly to the bed and not warp and pop up in the corners at all. And from there, PLA took off and became the material we know and love today. Easily the most common material. You can find it in pretty much every color that there is. Every company makes PLA. You can find it anywhere. The RepRap project in general, it played and continues to play really a massive role in the world of 3D printing. It gave rise to companies like Prusa, arguably one of, if not the biggest 3D printing company in the world, and also gave rise to a material PLA, which is definitely the most common and biggest filament used in the world. Before RepRap in 2012, the, the 3D printer on average cost ten to $15,000. By 2012, you could purchase and make a RepRap kit for $500. RepRap dramatically increase the availability of 3D printers to the public and allow for hobbyists to really start playing a part in influencing the world of 3D printing. I hope I was able to portray the significance of RepRap because I believe without the RepRap project, 3D printing as we know it would be nothing like it is today. I believe that they are single-handedly responsible for bringing the 3D printer to the public and to hobbyists and gave rise to hobbyists. So I myself am very thankful for RepRap and they are super huge and very important to remember them and their contributions to 3D printing. And with that, I think I'm going to need to call it there. There's just so much information in such a short time on the history of 3D printing. I think I'm going to split this episode into two parts. I did really want this to only be one episode, but on the other hand, I want to keep these episodes super, super short, like 10 to 15 minutes and. I just don't think I'm going to be able to get all of what I want to encompass into a 10 to 15 minute episode. So I'm going to leave you guys on that note. 
So once again, thank you guys for checking in and listening to episode number two of 3D Printing Basics. While you're at it, if you could like, subscribe, follow me, download this episode, it would mean a lot to me. I've already gotten so much support, like I said at the beginning of the episode, so much support on episode one. It's really motivated me and convinced me that this could be something huge and I'm definitely going to keep going and keep creating episodes. And that's because of you guys. So thank you again. And I hope to see you in the next episode. Until then, have a good one.